So the most fundamental belief in Judaism is the belief that God created our universe entirely and continues to control our universe. Without that belief in creation, Judaism simply would not exist. If you don't believe that God created us, why would you listen to him? If you don't believe God controls us, why should you listen to him? So Rosh Hashanah celebrates that event. It is the anniversary of when we believe God created our world. Now the story of creation, how God created our world, is told in the written Torah, in the Torah itself, in the very first chapter, tells the story of creation. Now this story, told in the very first chapter of creation, is very difficult to follow, very difficult to understand. We're going to be reading it after Simchat Torah when we start the Torah again. We're not reading it just yet, but we celebrate it now on Rosh Hashanah. It's very hard to understand. Even the Hebrew words in the story of creation, many of them are extremely difficult. A lot of the sentence structure is difficult to follow. So just in the Hebrew, it's hard to follow, let alone understand the concepts or what it is talking about. I don't believe that anyone fully understands how creation happened. We do not understand how creation happened. But what I'm going to try to do is address some of our basic beliefs in creation in this class and at least give you an overview of the story of creation. Now, inevitably, whenever the story of creation is brought up, everybody asks about the apparent contradiction between the story of creation and the modern scientific belief in the theory of evolution and the history of how our um, a natural history of how nature came into being. And this involves two main challenges. Firstly, there's a challenge of age. Science believes, and the theory of evolution believes the world, the universe, to be billions of years old. According to our Jewish traditions, we are celebrating on Rosh Hashanah this year five, seven, eight, two years from creation. Quite a difference, billions of years difference. But then even in the story itself, it's somewhat challenging because the order of creation does not appear to follow the order as understood by the modern theory of evolution. So this is a very clear and apparent contradiction, and I know many people are understandably bothered by this contradiction. But today, I am not going to be addressing that contradiction at all. We already addressed it in a previous class. And it was in that class that somebody asked, let's do a class just telling the story of creation. So I encourage you, if you are concerned about the contradiction, apparent contradiction between our belief in creation and modern science and the theory of evolution, I encourage you, you can go to my podcast, you can find it on Spotify or on um, Apple Podcasts, and over there, search for evolution, uh, um, creation versus evolution, and we have a class that discusses that topic in some detail. So, we did it already and it's on the podcast. Today, though, we are going to, for today's class, we are going to ignore the theory of evolution, just for today. 
And we're just going to talk about the Torah's story of creation without addressing the scientific understanding of natural history, without addressing the evolution question. We're not going to deal with that at all. We're just going to talk about the Torah's account of creation. Now, the most important detail in the Jewish belief of creation is that we were created by God out of nothing, out of absolutely nothing. It is a detail that the Torah does not mention explicitly. Yet, one of our great Jewish thinkers, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, known as Nachmanides, or as, by the Hebrew acronym Ramban, points out that the term used in creation, or in the very first verse already, but throughout the story of creation, bara, which we always translate as create, always means to create something from nothing. When you take an existing thing and turn it into something else, take a piece of wood and turn it into a chair or a table or a cupboard or a piece of metal and turn it into a, um, turn into a sword or turn into a shield or turn something into something else, we don't use the Hebrew term bore, bara, create. We call that yotzer, form. Oseh, make. But the word create is only used in scripture to create something from absolute nothing. And this is crucial because the belief, Jewish belief in creation is our answer to what's called the classic first cause dilemma. What is the first cause dilemma? The question is, where did we come from? Even if we could say where we came from, the question is, well, something made us. What made the thing that made us? What was before that? And what was before that? And what was before that? And we can keep going back in history. What came before that? What came before that? And we could go down to an infinitesimally small dot, perhaps, to the smallest possible thing, an infinitesimally simple thing. And yet, there's still something there. How did it get there? How do you go back to zero? How do you get from the first one, from the first thing that existed, back to zero, to absolute nothingness, the moment that time began, that history began? What was before the first thing? And so we believe that the first thing that existed was God. God is an absolute infinite being that always existed, just is, just exists. Unlike creation, every single thing within creation is here because it happens to be here. And then it can disappear. It doesn't need to be here. It doesn't have to be here. The Creator is what we call in Hebrew or absolute existence. Just is, always was, and always will be. Nothing made it. Nothing made this original existence. It just is. And this Creator, which we call Hashem or God, is the one that created all of creation from absolute nothingness and turned it into something. We, and that is something that we cannot imagine or picture. Because we humans, we creations, can only take an existing thing and turn it into something else. 
We can even today have machines that create water out of air. But we're taking the water that's in the air already. We can only take one thing and turn it into something else. We don't have the power to take, make something out of nothing. We can't even imagine what that would be like. Creation, when God created our universe, God created it from absolute nothing and made us something, made us exist. Now much of Kabbalah is dedicated to explaining our relationship with God and in particular how God created us. And the teachings of Kabbalah, which is a term for Jewish mysticism, also referred to as Torah Hasod, explain that God created us through ten powers known as the Sephirot, which those are the forces that he used within creation. I'm not going to get into the details of the Sephirot. We had a class previously where we spoke about the Sephirot. So I won't get into the details now. And then he created, using the Sephirot, a complex system of many, many, many different realities in addition to our own reality. Every once in a while you see a headline that says scientists believe that there are X number of realities. Well, Kabbalah always believed in many, many, many other realities, many other worlds or other realities other than our physical reality that God created as well. The entire system and all these realities are interconnected, each one impacting the other one. And the entire system of these realities are called Seder Hishtal Shalot, or the chain system of creation because each one is interlocked. Each one is connected. It's like a chain where each lock is, each ring is connected to the ring beneath it. And so they're all interlocking rings of a chain, links of a chain. So in the same way, every part of creation, every reality is interconnected with the next reality. And we're making all the various realities connected, interconnected with each other. We are only consciously aware of our own reality. But we believe that along with our reality, God created many, many other realities. And that will, Annette, God willing, be the topic of another class of the other realities. Hasidic teachings explain that God created, the Torah tells us, sorry, that God created with words. God spoke and things came into being. In the story, in the first chapter in Genesis, the Torah tells us ten times that God spoke, God said, and things happened. The Talmud points out that it's really nine, even though it says ten. How to resolve that contradiction is a topic of its own. But many times God spoke and the world and things were created. Hasidic teachings teach us that the words of God's speech weren't physical words, but were the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And those letters of the Hebrew alphabet were the energy that exists behind every single thing in creation. Every single thing in creation exists and is energized with godly energy. That godly energy is the godly force that God used to create, the words of God that God used to create. For a long time, it was maybe hard to understand it. 
One of the beauties of modern technology is it's given us an amazing metaphor to be able to understand the process that God used to create. When we look at our computer screens, and if I had a screen behind me, I could show it. When we look at our computer screens, we see all sorts of things happening on the computer screens. You can watch the markets go up and down. You could trade. You could be playing games on your computer screen. You could be watching live feed, as those of you on social media are watching right now. And the truth is, all that you're looking at is a bunch of pixels. And behind all those pixels are just code. Just code behind those pixels. In fact, if you click the right button on your mouse, one of the options will be view source or view code. And if you hit that option that comes up from the, um, from the drop-down menu when you cl- right-click on your browser, you will see that everything that you are looking at turns into a bunch of letters. It's amazing. Our world is really built, we believe, the same way. It is built on letters, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, which are godly energy that stands behind every single thing, the words of God that makes each thing exist. And therefore God spoke and things came into being. God used this powerful godly energy of God's words to create and bring each thing into being. And it wasn't just that God created it at one moment. Just like the code on your computer screen has to consistently be there in order for your computer screen to do what it does. And every time something adjusts on your screen, the code is adjusting. God's energy works the same way. It continues to exist within every single thing within creation. And were it to stop for a moment, it's like pulling the plug out of your screen. What would happen? It goes dead. Were it God's energy to stop for a moment, we'd go dead, like pulling the plug. So God's energy continues to make us exist at every single moment. We don't think about that much. We assume it's going to continue because it's been here all this time. No, we only exist because of the energy that God makes exist. We're only here because of the energy that God, bring, that God so to speak, speaks into us. The moment it stops, it ceases to be. So when God created our world in the days of creation, that was only the original energy that God placed within us. But then that energy continues to be within us, within the entire universe, in order to keep it in existence. And as each thing moves in this universe, like the characters on our screen, it is the code moving along with it. God is moving with the code. God's energy is moving and making each thing move as it does in this world. Any questions? Very straightforward. So exactly how did this happen? So the Torah tells us a fascinating story of creation in this first chapter of Genesis. When we open the first chapter of Genesis, we see the words are very cryptic, very hard to understand. In fact, the first three words, Bereshit, the Bereshit bara Elohim, don't make sense. 
Bereshit means in the beginning of bara. Elohim means God created. In the beginning of God created. That sentence doesn't make sense. And the commentaries try to figure out what exactly does this mean? And so, and this has been a challenge from the first days when we got the Torah. In all the years since, we have Midrashim going back to well over 2,000 years and commentaries from all the years since. And they struggle with this first chapter of the Torah. I think we can say it is the most difficult chapter, or at least one of the most difficult chapters in the Torah to understand. And so from the earliest Midrashim, through the many, many commentaries over the generations, many have tried to make sense and tried to understand the meaning of this first chapter in Genesis. What exactly happened? How exactly did God create? What exactly did He make every day of creation? How do we understand, not only do we, how do we understand the words, but how does that fit in with our reality? What actually happened? How does that fit in with reality as we know it? And over the years, commentaries have not only attempted to understand what the words mean, how to make sense of the sentences, of the words and the sentences, but have tried to fit it into our reality. What exactly are we talking about? What things, what, what items are we talking about? And over the years, our understanding of reality has changed. And as our understanding changed, we tried to fit the Torah into our new understandings of reality. And scholars from the earliest times tried to fit the stories, the story of creation into their understanding of reality 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago. And scholars today try to fit the story into, try to fit into the story of reality as we are in the last 150 years, as modern science understands it. In recent times, dozens of books have been written by Jews, by non-Jews, attempting to fit the story in with modern science. So if you came here this morning expecting clarity within the story of creation, I'm afraid I cannot give you any. <laughs> I don't believe we know exactly what happened. We have bits and pieces. We have words. We have statements. We have the words the Torah says and words of our oral tradition. But exactly what it means and how to understand it. We have dozens if not hundreds of explanations on each and every statement. As one of the most cryptic parts of Torah and probably one of the most, maybe because it's at the beginning and because it's something that's so fundamental, one of the parts of Torah that is probably commented on more than any other part. We have so many different possibilities as to what each and every word, you know, what each and every phrase means. It's something that we can spend years and years studying we truly don't know. Now the story starts off with creation already existing. It begins either with the words in the beginning of God's creation of the heavens and earth. The heavens and earth were already there. Or in the beginning God had already created the heavens and earth. Different ways of translating that first verse. Or the purpose of creation of the heavens and earth. Many different ways to translate that first verse. Regardless, it doesn't tell us God created the heavens and earth. 
It starts off with the world already created, and then God begins to put everything in place. So matter had already, it appears to have already been created. It begins with our universe already existing. However, as we said, clearly there's a fundamental belief in Judaism that God created our world from absolute nothingness. What exactly did it look like before the six days of creation? There's one verse in the Torah that describes what, the, what it looked like. Again, a very cryptic word, verse, that speaks of the earth being tohu vavohu. How to translate tohu, whether empty, wondrous, chaotic, many different possible translations. Um, it speaks of a wind, or a spirit, or air, ruach elokim. It speaks of water, exactly what all these things mean. Many, again, many, many, many different possibilities. The Torah tells us that the world was created in six days. Now this is generally thought to be literally six 24-hour days. Now there are some challenges to that. Without bringing in, since we're ignoring that for this class, without bringing in evolution and science and those challenges. There's some challenges within the story itself. Notably, as we're going to see, the sun doesn't exist till day four. Yet, the Torah tells the world was created in six days. And so there are some commentaries that are going to suggest maybe it's not six literal days. Some think it is. Some think it isn't. It's figurative. Regardless, there's no question that we keep Shabbat to commemorate the six days of creation. We keep Shabbat today commemorating how the Torah was created in six days and God rested on the seventh day. And we keep six days and rest on the seventh. So regardless of whether the original six days were literal, as most commentaries thought or figurative as some thought, regardless, Shabbat is every seven days. The Zohar tells us that the six days of creation correspond to God's six emotional spherot, six emotional powers of God. And each day, what God created each day, is really a reference to the emotional sefirot of God, the emotional powers of God. Day one is God's kindness, revelation. Day two is God's restraint, gvura, or tzimtzum, contraction. Day three is tiferet, beauty, or balance. God finding balance within creation. Day four is netzach, motivation. Motivation or power within creation. Day five is hod, or submissiveness within creation. And day six is yesod, or connection. Connection within creation. So each of the spherot, without getting into the details of the spherot, are each describing really, sorry, each day of creation is really just describing a different sphera, a different power that God used to create our world. So let's take a look at the story day by day, try to understand as much as we possibly can understand within the story of creation. On the first day, God said, let there be light. And there was light. What does that mean? 
The earliest Midrashim already point out there was no sun. Who was shining? What was shining? What kind of light was there? Sun was created on day four. So some commentaries actually say sun was created on day one. And later on day four, the sun was not really created. We'll talk about day four in a moment. Some say it was a spiritual light. The Midrash says that it was Or Haganuz, it was a hidden light that existed for three days until God created the sun on day four. Or existed for all six days. And then it was hidden, we never saw it again. But we will see it in the future times. Is that a physical light? Is that some sort of spiritual light? It's not clear. Some see it. The Zohar says that this is the energy of God, what we call the En Sof, the infinite power of God that God invested within creation. God shone forth His light on day one, His godly energy. Others saw it, other scholars, Rabbi David Kimchi and others, see it as the force of energy in nature. God created first and foremost the force, force of energy. Actually fits nicely with modern science. And or even some see it as God creating Chomer, God creating matter itself on day one. Lots of possibilities. The Torah tells us it was morning, it was evening, it was morning one day. Very, very important verse repeated six times over in the first chapter. Important because as a result of that verse, we know that in Judaism, days start at sundown. Start with evening, morning, and that's the day, and end at sundown. Days go sundown to sundown. Not from 12 a.m. to 12 a.m. as they do in our secular world. Now, it's somewhat unclear. How can you have night and day without a sun? How can you have evening and morning without a sun? Some say it's figurative. Evening is evil. Morning is good. Maybe it refers to something else. We mentioned some say that the sun was created on day one. Ramban Point says, regardless, it was simply a 24-hour period that later we would call evening and morning. But it was simply a 24-hour period of time. Once matter was created, time began. So it was what we would today recognize as a 24-hour period. Others, as we mentioned previously, thought that perhaps it's longer days. It wasn't a 24-hour period. Without the sun, these were longer periods. Maybe not days as we know it. A lot of possibilities again. Any questions? Yes. No, we would have never known it without God telling us. Right. And that the other thing is time and space are non-existent. There was no such thing. Well, time and space did not exist before creation. creation. But the moment God created matter, time and space came into being. The Talmud lists ten things that were created on day one. Among those ten things are time and space. But the days are different than a 24 hours. Possibly. 
possibly. Again, commentaries offer different possibilities. We don't know. On day two, God said, let there be a rakia. Rakia means something firm. I think the, the English translations of the Torah or the Bible say firmament. just means something firm. In the heavens that will separate between the water above and the water below. It's somewhat unclear. What is that referring to? He called the waters above, Shamaim, heavens. And he called the waters below, seas. What does that mean? Some say it means literally. There's water on earth and water in the atmosphere. God separated between the water on earth and water in the atmosphere. Why the atmosphere is called firm, I don't know, but it, it refers to reference to the atmosphere. Others saw see it as the creation of matter itself. This water, the firmament that we're creating means matter. Day one, God created energy in this view. Day two, God created matter. Fits nicely with modern science, this one. That comes from Rabbeinu Nissen, um, scholar from the 13th century. Barbanella, a 16th century scholar, a 15th century scholar, thought that this refers to the creation of everything beyond our earth. Everything outside of our earth was created on day two. Some think it was created on day one. The sun and moon maybe were created on day four. Maybe they had already been created on day one or two. Kabbalists see this, the Zohar sees this, as a form of tzimtzum. The water we're referring to is the godly energy that we mentioned on day one. Day one, God created the godly energy. Day two, God blocked the godly energy. Because were there to be infinite energy, God could not create a finite world. So God needed to block the godly energy in a process that we call in Kabbalah tzimtzum in order to create our world. Once again, many, many different possibilities. We don't know. The next couple days get a little easier. <coughs> On day three, we're told God separated the water from the dry land. Creating seas, creating dry land. That's very easy to understand, literally. It's also understood by some, by the Zohar, by others, as, uh, figuratively as well. Then on day three, God also created all vegetation. All vegetation was created on day three. We should point out that on day two, on day three is the only day God created two things. And day six, he's got also. Usually there's one thing per day. But day three, there's two things. Land and vegetation. And the Midrash points out that really the first thing creating land was a continuation of what he had done on day one. And that's why every day it says, God says he saw that it was good, but not on day two. It doesn't say he saw that it was good. Instead, on day three, he created land, then he saw that it was good. Because without land, there's no room for humanity, which is going to be the goal of creation. So his work on day two hadn't yet been finished. It makes, day th it makes day three of the week, Tuesdays, a lucky day, good day. Because God said, 
It was good twice. On day four, God created the sun, the moon, the stars, putting our heavenly system in place. Now, there's some debate exactly what was created. We mentioned already many think that the sun and planets were created on day one or on day two. So some say, well, they were there but not yet visible because our earth did not yet have a fully developed atmosphere. That was only developed on day four. Or they existed, but they didn't work. Our current planetary system as we have it now didn't yet exist. God set the planets in motion on day four. And so we had that, that motion started. Again, lots of possibilities. We don't know. On day five, we're told God created the creatures of the sea, all the living things of the sea, as well as all the flying creations. And then on, that's pretty straightforward. Then on day six, God created all other living things, including animals, reptiles, insects, all created on day six. And then God blessed them and told them to be fruitful and to multiply and increase and fill the earth. And then the final thing that God created was man. The Torah tells us that God said, Let us make man nase adam bitsalmenu kid musen, let us make man in our image. I know you've asked about doing a class about how man is in God's image. We'll talk about that another time. Commentaries ask, Who is God talking to when he said, Let us make man? And the Midrashim offer many different explanations. It was the angels. They were created on an earlier day, day one or day two. There's different opinions as to when the angels were created. <coughs> Beings of other realities that we spoke about earlier. Others say he was talking to the rest of creation. He said to all of creation, let us make man. Or he was talking to the soul of man and saying, let us make man. Because we are God's partners in creation. See, so he was talking to us. What about angels? Sorry? What about angels? Another possibility. <laughs> we are told that God created man from the dust, formed the body from the dust of the earth, and then breathed into him a soul. And commentaries point out that unlike the other creations that were created alive, soul and body together, where in other words their soul is a creation. Our soul was breathed into us. Our bodies were creations. But our soul was breathed into us by God. Our soul is a part of God. We are in other words, part godly. Our God's agents here on earth. We have a godly soul within us. That is eternal and that continues to exist even after we are gone, after we're no longer here on earth, we have this godly soul within us. God then, after creating man, God then split man into male and female. God then, subject of its own class as well, exactly how he split man. Yes? Um, so Adam was originally male and female. That's what it says. Zachar unekeva baram. He created them male and female. The Talmud says he was both. Male and female, we could do a class of male and female, sure. 
Then the final thing that God did was he gave all of creation over to man and said, you are in control of everything. You are in control of everything. Use it all to fulfill your mission. You will rule over everything. He lists the vegetation and the, the sea creatures and the flying things and the animals. You will rule over everything and control everything. So man was created last, but man was the purpose of creation. God placed us on earth to do his mission within creation. In other words, created creation for us or for us to follow his mission. And that's why it says in Psalms, Achar v'kedem tsartani, you created me last and first. We were last in creation, but we were first in that we were the purpose of creation. And the Midrash tells us as soon as man was created, man was aware of his creator, and man turned to God and thanked God for creating him and praised God. And now creation became worthwhile. In other words, the only value of creation is for us humans who recognize God to use creation for God. The rest of creation is not conscious. So the rest of creation is totally unaware of the Creator. Only we humans were blessed with consciousness. Only we are aware of our Creator. We, are, we have the ability to use the rest of creation for God. That is the purpose. And that is why our sages say that is why we celebrate Rosh Hashanah is not the anniversary of day one of creation. Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of day six of creation. In fact, Rosh Hashanah is the new moon, right? It's the beginning of the month of Tishrei. Rosh Hashanah is always on the new moon. The new moon of, if we go back 5,782 years, the new moon was on which day of the week? A Friday. It was on a Friday. So Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of day six of creation. The day Adam was created because that was the purpose of creation. Yes. Man was created with attributes as opposed to sexual organs of male and female. Okay, that possibly. Possibly, yes. Possibly. He definitely couldn't have pro procreated regardless. And man can't exist alone. We only exist in groups. Sorry? Very good question. We'll, we'll talk about it another time. So, as we've seen from the story of creation, there is more unknown than known. It is more cryptic than understood. It's highly cryptic, very, very difficult to relate to, to understand, very difficult to know exactly what it's saying, exactly what it means. Somewhat challenging. Yet we've studied it, the Torah gives it to us, and in its cryptic words, and we've studied it and analyzed it and continue to do so, knowing that we truly don't know exactly what happened, 
and we'll almost certainly never know exactly what happened and how it happened. But many, many different ways to understand what happened. Yes? After each day, it says, God saw that it was good. He saw that creation was good. Everything that he created was good. Our world is perfect, says the Talmud. Review it? Oh, why did he check that to see that it was good? It's a statement about creation, that every single part of creation is good. No, no, it was good, it was all good. Nothing to redo. He made mistakes. Sorry? Well, he did, he did. He knowing, the, the Talmud, the, the, the uh, Midrash says he knowingly made mistakes in creation. But that was also good. That was part of creation. In fact, the Talmud says that on day six when he created, every day it says he saw that it was good. When he created man, it says... God saw everything that he had created. The Natov Ma'od. It was very good. Why was it very good? So the Talmud said he saw man with a good inclination. He saw that it was he was good. He saw humans with a bad inclination and he realized it was very good. Our bad inclination is very good. Well, we wouldn't be able to do good without it. So all the challenges there are all very good, all part of the plan. Yes, Bart? A simplistic uh, question, but so why so complicated? Why didn't he just make it straightforward? We'd have less commentaries. Maybe he wanted us to have commentaries. Oh, to keep everybody employed or what? Uh... <laughs> That's a very good question. Why did, why did God make it so hard to understand? Firstly, I think to a certain extent we cannot understand creation because it's a godly endeavor, it's not a human endeavor. In other words, we can't truly understand what God does. We can try to understand bits and pieces, but we cannot truly understand what God does. Um, But God gave us a glimpse, and then Gay said, go work and figure it out. So even though there... Sorry, Sidra. Yes. We uh, should study it, but we also, to a certain point, have to just accept it because it is challenging, right? We don't fully know what, it, what happened. <coughs> so while there are many questions and many, a lot of obscurity, um, a lot of ambiguity when it comes to creation, there are certain fundamentals that we're absolutely certain about because they're fundamentals in Judaism. Firstly, and most importantly, we believe our entire universe was created by God from absolute nothingness. That is a clear fundamental belief in Judaism. Without God, nothing would have existed and nothing would exist today. He continues to create and control us. Nothing happens without Him. As we mentioned earlier, God's creation and control of our world is the very basis of Jewish belief. We further believe that because God created us, we must follow what He told us. He controlled, He created, made us, He controls us, we have to follow what He says. Because He controls us and will make sure that we will be, we will 
There will be consequences for our good actions and bad actions. We spoke about that two weeks ago. And with total control of our universe, we also can turn to God, as we do in Rosh Hashanah, and ask Him for whatever we need, because He created us and controls us. So it is a fundamental belief that God created and controls our universe. Another crucial belief in the creation is that creation happened in six days, whether literally, as most commentaries clearly believed, or figuratively, as some thought, whichever it is, the world was created in six days. And then God rested on the seventh day, Shabbat. And this is one of the most important, if not in many ways, the most important of all our commandments. We have to work six days and rest on Shabbat. If we keep Shabbat, we are recognizing God's power of creation, God in creation. We don't keep Shabbat, we are not recognizing God's creation. Regardless of the understanding of how God created, we definitely believe that we count six days and every seventh day we celebrate the Shabbat. A final crucial belief that we have from the story of creation is God's creation of man. In the story of creation, as we just told it, humans are the final thing created. Yet, humans are given control over the entire earth. It is clear from the story of creation that we believe in an earth-centric world. The earth stands at the center of God's universe. More importantly, humans, as small as we may be, are the purpose and crown of God's creation. Everything else was created for us, for us to use. Not for us to use for our own pleasure and luxury but for us to use to follow God's commandments and to serve Him. So we can be the greatest creation as God's agents within creation, using all of it for God. Or we can be the worst. We're the only ones that have the power to mess up because we have choice. We can ruin God's creation. In fact, the Talmud says that we were created last. So that if ever we get too arrogant, God says, don't forget that the fly was created before you. <laughs> so we can, become the most, we can become the most powerful in creation. We have the ability to make an impact in creation. And we have the ability, and we have the ability to also destroy creation. And so every Rosh Hashanah, we celebrate the anniversary of creation reminding ourselves of our role within creation that we need to recalibrate our lives to ensure that we are fulfilling our purpose within creation.